Hello, this is Liv Peterson from Starting Up Now. Thanks for joining us today on KMNP Shift. In this podcast, I have the opportunity to interview L. Brian Jenkins, author of No More Nonprofits, Moving from Dependency to Sustainability. In this episode, we will dive into the history of racial disparity in America and answer the question, how has racial disparity affected Black and Latinx leaders today? Take a listen and hope you enjoy KMNP Shift. In the beginning of this chapter, Brian, you talk about the American startup story. Mm-hmm. Kind of tell us about how that got brought about or what happened. Yeah, I was teaching a class and a student who was not from the U.S. Uh, this is a class at uh, Moody Bible Institute. I'm an adjunct professor there, and I was teaching an entrepreneurship class to those um, young leaders who may end up starting a ministry or starting a business. And this particular student asked, so how did America acquire Mm. all this wealth? And it really perplexed me because growing up here, the history, the legacy that I come from as as a descendant of African captives, slaves, you know, here in the U.S., we we grow up around it. You know, this is something that I was taught, you know, Mm. something that I I learned early, you know, and I'm a history student. You know, I love history and I love, you know, learning about my, you know, the legacy of my people prior to coming to the U.S., but also their history of being here in the U.S. And so this student didn't have that, didn't have that background, didn't have that knowledge. You know, it was aware of American slavery, but just to what extent and the amount of wealth that was created through slavery is something that most of us, even in our modern day, do not realize. And so in the book, I started thinking this through. This was America's startup capital. Mm, This is like, just like when a person, you know, raises money for a business from a grant, it could be, you know, from, you know, some love money from donors. I mean, wherever it can come from family and friends, you need the capital to get off the ground, you know? And I realized that in 1619, when the first African descendants came to Jamestown, Virginia, that's when it began. You know, it it really started there and it turned into a system that in modern day equivalency, just before the Civil War began in 1861, this industry in modern day and and back then it was worth $3.5 billion. Well, that would translate in today's economy, in today's you know modern day equivalency, to ninety-seven trillion dollars, wow. and everything in this country was impacted by slavery. We do not, as Americans, realize just how dominant slavery was on every aspect of American life. Similar to what technology is today, yeah. is what the modern day is what slavery was to the U.S. Think about it from this perspective. The Europeans that came and brought this system, that, I mean, the system didn't was didn't originate with Europeans. Slavery has been it's an age-old system that's been around as long as human history has. But the form of slavery that the Europeans, essentially poor peasants from Europe that were looking to escape and be able to start over again without the systems that did not give people the freedoms that they, that they had in Europe, they implemented these same yeah, systems back, you know, to people who were very identifiable because of the color of their skin and turn this, you know, in order to feed the economies of scale around the world from the plantations, they turned this into a system that dominated every aspect of America. And we oftentimes do not realize, and sometimes we intentionally try to distance ourselves from what this system was all about. This is a system 
that created America's startup capital. This is how America is still to this day riding the wealth wave, mm. you know, that allowed a nation of peasants in less than about 200 years to become a superpower because of the ability to provide free labor and to produce products and services that were oftentimes sold throughout the world markets around the globe and all started right here in the U.S. And kind of talking about this American startup story, like you said, there's a lot of ignorance around really the realities of this mm-hmm. and or maybe even like a distancing, not wanting to talk about it, not wanting to deal with it, not wanting to realize mm-hmm. the realities of how it has affected every aspect of yeah. America. Yeah. And on page 26 in your book, mm-hmm. You write, so at this point, you may be asking yourself, how is the history of slavery in the United States relevant Mm -hmm. to my startup? So talk about the access of capital as it relates to race now. Like, how has this affected where we are now? Yeah. I mean, the access to capital is generational. So let's use as my example. You know, I wanted to launch a nonprofit to help youth, you know, learn about business and startup and all that which, you know, I love and I'm passionate about, but where are you going to get the money from? Mm-hmm. You know? So for me, it was as if, you know, you know, okay, well, this is a process you write, you know, the foundations, you get grants, you get, you know, love money from your family to get off the ground. But then you begin to wonder, well, why do foundations have so much capital and where does this, where do these families, you know, how was this capital actually generated? How was it started? Mm-hmm. And for me, it became, it was more of a, of trying to figure out not only how I fit into this, but how I could, you know, make this model work for me. And the more I got into it, the more I found out, I was like, man, I don't know anybody. I don't come from a wealthy background. It really hit me that this system was never intended for me. This system was intended for those who have significant access to capital or were dependent upon federal, state, or municipal grants. But that's only if the business or if the grant funds are available. I didn't have that. You know, I was trying to figure out in light of the history of this country, where do I fit into this? And to give guidance, not only for myself, but also to others, I quickly realized this system was never meant for me. This system is meant for those who are wealthy, not for those who are poor or those who are middle class. This yeah. system this system creates dependency, but where do these funds come from? And so for me, I thought it was very important to realize that systems that aren't meant for you are literally not meant for you. That does not mean that you stop trying to achieve what's on your heart. You have to find another way. Yeah. You have to find another path. But the challenge is a lot of times in the nonprofit industry, you're giving essentially models that don't always work for you. And it's it's really interesting because on page 26 of your book, mm-hmm. I feel like what you just said kind of goes into this. It says, not knowing the history of the United States could reinforce the fable of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Absolutely. Of course, that is assuming you own a pair of boots. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the American story is people say, oh, well, you just need to pull yourself up mm-hmm. or, you know, that happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You know, how mm-hmm. is that can't be affecting you today? Right. Like you just need to right. get over it sure. and pull yourself sure. up and. And this is where we're at now. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember I was teaching a program or class somewhere and I won't name the suburb, but a very exclusive suburb in the Western Chicago suburbs. And this particular high school had just added what would be the equivalent of almost like an Apple store Mm. in their high school for the students. And it was blew me away the level of access that they had to capital where they could raise capital 
private dollars to build a, an equivalent of a full-blown studio to teach students how to program and how to code and you know do media presentations and then the schools that I was working with sometimes we were lucky enough to have working computers yeah. in a room not every school is funded the same way and to think that those students in Barrington you know, we're competing directly against some of these students that I'm working with on the west and south sides of Chicago. The options were not the same. Looking at high school, let's if you start diving into it, mm -hmm. well, high school is the, typically the end of our career as far as schooling is concerned for some of us. There were students there that had assets, for lack of better words, from the time that they were born. Yeah. And so the challenge becomes, well, how did this happen? It's not by just pulling yourself up. There were factors that contributed. Many of those parents worked hard to put themselves in that position, but the families that I was working with in Chicago worked just as hard, yeah, you know, absolutely. but the, but the opportunities were not the same. And so to, to ignore history and ignore legislation that has denied black and brown people in this country to create opportunities and wealth for themselves and just say, you know, pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps, it's not accurate. And it kind of goes into the next point where this is not just like a mistake or this mm -hmm. is not just, sure. oh, something that was overlooked. But I want you to kind of talk to me about the intentional design mm -hmm. of racial disparity, how this sure. was intentional, how yeah. this was set up from the beginning. Sure. I, you know, I call it intentional um, disinvestment requires intentional investment. And for me, it's like, you know, you need to know, in my opinion, what needs to happen is this country was never set up for anything else initially in our history, but for white men. That's if you start with that paradigm and everything flows to that end, then you have a better understanding that I was never meant to be a part of this wealth system. I was never meant to be a part of this. Well, let me let me back up. I was a part of it, not as an owner, but as a producer for someone else's gain. Mm -hmm. And so for my for me, it's like if Everything was in, was intended for my complete disenfranchisement. My, you know, historically, I was not valued. I was not even seen as human. You know, I was seen as somebody who could help America get to where America wanted to be. I was never part of that system. You know, at the end of the Civil War, you know, we moved from one era of slavery, but the, the, we ushered in the next era of Jim Crow, and and it became very clear that you know once you know the cat slave, slaves were released, that there was really no plan for them. The American government had no plan. Yeah. And so what do you do? And that's the challenge that many of us face because there was always intentional disinvestment, complete disenfranchisement, particularly for those slaves who had worked for free for hundreds of years, as did their family members prior to them. But when their time, you know, when slavery ended, there was nothing at the time where the government was going to say, hey, we want to make this right. We're still fighting for those things to, to this very day. So if there was intentional disinvestment, intentional harm intentionally done, then that means that there's a level of intentional investment to repair the damages that have been done, not only to that generation, the previous generations, but also the generations that follow. Mm. Thanks again for joining us today on KMNP Shift, where we discuss the unseen and unspoken barriers you must overcome to do your job. We are always happy to hear from you, so please reach out to us at www.entrenuity.com. 
interested in booking a workshop on this content, email us at info at Follow us on all social media channels at Entrenuity. And don't forget to grab a copy of your book, No More Nonprofits Moving from Dependency to Sustainability, available on Amazon. Until next time, this is your host, Liv Peterson with KMNP Shift.